So the biggest challenge actually wasn't the fact that the sales system or the marketing system didn't work. It was that the people didn't have confidence in the system like they did before. So they didn't execute it the same way they would. 100%. And we're just starting to see now that we're recovering from that because people are getting it. So now we're having double the sales weeks we had two and three weeks ago. And really nothing's changed except people are starting to get it. They're going, right, this can work. And I'm tired of being at home. Okay, I'll get back to work on this thing. Welcome. To the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Super excited to bringing on our vice president, Patrick Lalonde. Patrick has a really a storied history in our firm. You know, at 18, he, uh, after his first summer, bought his first property. You know, he uh, has really done an enormous amount to transform our business into the powerhouse that it is. We talk early on about some of the decision points uh, about him staying in the business and, uh, about the transformations we've made in our business to grow and provide better leadership in the business. We talk about some really key philosophies that Patrick has to really make a enormous contribution in the business, but really philosophies that you need to sort of really take a look at as to whether you want to take those on in your life to really have a incredibly successful life. I, by the way, believe that one of the real key success attributes of successful people is having a great philosophy and really thoughtful philosophy. So um, we get into that here. So it's really, really awesome. I know you're going to love this podcast. And you know, all that Patrick and I off ask is, do you know of any amazing leaders who want to come and join an amazing team and get incredible business coaching and mentoring and development. If you do, please send them my way. You can send me an email at chris at leaderspodcast.ca. You can share this podcast, um, the leaders of tomorrow. You can send them to us at the studentworks.com and they can apply there as well. Thanks so much. Have a super fantastic day. Patrick, really excited to finally have you on the leaders of tomorrow. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Obviously, you're a huge part in sort of the decision to move forward with the pod and uh, helping craft many of the questions and uh, so and uh, shape what we've created here over the last year and a half, two years. So well done, sir. Thanks. Yeah, well, it's it's also pretty exciting for me to actually just get on the podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually never thought about it for a while. Right. Then yeah. when you brought it up, like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? I was like, I love talking about stuff. So yeah, let's go. Let's be do it. Perfect. It'll be perfect. Yeah. So what made you want to start coaching young entrepreneurs, Patrick? So to be honest with you, I actually completely backed into that by accident. Right. I never planned to fall in love with coaching and then do that for the yeah. next decade. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening is, so I was at Student Works and um, I was an operator and I remember I got, I had a choice. I could either go and become a district manager. I, I yeah. like I was doing really well as an operator, and the you position were. I knew I could go 
and apply for it and I would get it kind of thing. So I said, okay, well, I could go and do that. And at the time, this was about a decade ago. So this is the case anymore. But at the time, it wasn't a position that paid like a whole lot of money, right? We didn't have it. Like now we've got it running where it's like, our guys make really good dough. But back then it was kind of like, ah, we make okay money. Or I could go and take just like a straight sales job Mm -hmm. and it was going to pay me more. Right. And I thought about it quite a bit because I was like, straight sales is pretty easy and I'll make more money. But then the more I looked at being a district manager, I, I was just like, I got to go for this. This is going to be way harder. There's way more growth. You know, in the long run, I'll win mm-hmm. because I'll get way more learning and development out of this. Well, the company that I got offered the sales position at closed a year later. <laughs> That's right. And then, you know, I, I actually was within a couple, I think it was my second, you know, as, as a district manager with Student Works. I managed to hit like six figure income and yeah. we completely like that. We broke that old comp plan. Like we made yeah. it really yeah. juicy and we just, we were killing it. Mm-hmm. So it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made because I got so much learning out of it, which then allowed me to be a really great district manager. I completely fell in love with coaching, became really good at it and then just stuck with it. Right. So that was a yeah. big part of like I started doing it, then I got better at it. So I got better results. So I kept investing in it and then I got better results. And then eventually I was kind of like, this, this is freaking awesome. I don't ever yeah. want to do anything else. I want to keep doing yeah. stuff like this. Cause it's interesting because earlier on, I could have seen you having a just, well, you know, first of all, you could have had an incredible career as a salesperson, right? Just as an elite salesperson, because you have those elite sales skills. And, you know, again, you found yourself to be, you know, an elite sales leader, sales manager, you know, just, you know, leader, strategist, and and all these things that became really aware of. And just for our leaders, one thing that happened when Pat joined the company is my partner and, uh, and, and wife and now CEO of the business, she came into the company. And so, you know, like Pat, she's really a strategist and, and thinks way more mathematically than I do. And they're both business trained and I'm not. And so we had amazing coaching at the time, but not a really great strategy and process. And, and so as Pat started developing the business, Helen's influence is really impacted. And so one of the things was we basically, we, when I say we, I mean her, created a comp plan that would really, really reward high performers. And so Patrick blew the top off that performance. And so now we have always a whole bunch of other million dollar, 100K type performers in our district manager group, which is unbelievable. You know, when you're thinking a lot of these times people are just out of school or in school and being able to earn that type of a type of an income. So it's funny thinking back where we were, you know, 11 years ago and now where we are. It's just massive. Yeah. Well, I had a dinner party on Monday. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we're shooting this for everybody. We're shooting this in the middle of COVID. So it wasn't a real dinner party. It was a virtual <laughs> dinner party on Zoom. Virtual dinner party. Yeah. But I, I did that with my old district manager uh, who, who coached me when I was kind of coming into the program. And it was so funny because, you know, at the time he ran about, a, I think it was about an $800,000 or $900,000 team, which like nowadays is kind of like, yeah, okay, that's like a good rookie DM. Good do. rookie year. Yes. Yeah, good rookie yeah. year. But at the yeah, time yeah. he was the top guy. So it just goes to show like how far we've come. And and I think that's that was the best part of like being a district manager was that 
I didn't just go because you said I could have gone and been a really good salesperson. Honestly, yes. I wouldn't have really had that much fun doing that. I would have gotten really right. bored really fast. Yeah, but yeah. I like solving problems. And yeah. that's what I realized you get to do in management. And mm-hmm. when you're at a strategy level in business, like even just starting off as a district manager, the problems were a little bit smaller and a little bit simpler. They were more about my team, but I got to right. solve a lot of problems for people. Right. But then as I started coaching other district managers, the problems got bigger. They got more complicated. They involved more people. There was more in the implementation. We did, you know, it was got more and more complex. So I got to go and participate in solving these more and more complicated problems and figuring out new strategies and, you know, just recruiting system completely, you know, broke down two years ago. Yeah. And we had to create a completely new one. That was like, on the one hand, kind of sucky because obviously we didn't get to go and have the incredible year that we would have had that year. But on the other hand, I got to solve all sorts of problems. I got to learn all sorts of new stuff. and. If you're just doing sales, I probably could have made, you know, more money, but, right. but I still made a ton of money doing what I was doing. I had way more fun doing it, which in the long run probably actually means I, I'll make more money or I, I'm making more money as well because I'm performing way better in the role. Like I don't, I'm not stressed about working long hours on it or it doesn't like I'm excited mm-hmm. to go and be like, oh, okay, how do we figure this out? You know, how, yeah. how do we redo this business structure? Like, well, yeah. I was just on a call with Helen and it's like, I would do that for fun almost, you know, like that's, yeah. that sounds like it's, you know, it's, it's stressful at times because there's a lot yeah. like at stake, but it's also, yes. it's also like a puzzle. Like, okay. Let's yes. Do this out. You know, it's true. And and frankly, one of the things as well is, is, is Patrick and Helen have very, very similar uh, styles of learning, styles of doing things, styles of, uh, of fact finding and process. And so strategists, they're both strategists. And so in many ways, when there are things that break down or, or challenges, they're really figuring those things out. You know, uh, I'm, I'm at, you know, they, you know, they hand me the mic a lot, but really it's Patrick and, and Helen who really decide and sort out and problem solve strategy. And it's just not something I'm great at. And as a result, it was really the limitation of my business in the past when we didn't have people like you and and Helen. So it's really interesting as well, where again, the more great people you get in a business with different skill sets, it really, really makes everything, it grows everything. Um, Yeah. I don't think I could necessarily, well, I know I couldn't do what you do. And I wouldn't enjoy to do it the same way either, right? right. So it's like, I yeah. think, you know, I was just talking with one of our district managers, Conrad, the other day about the differences in, you know, he worked with me for a number of years, then yeah. with you, and it's like, yeah. there's a whole other style that he's getting from you. And, yeah. you know, and a lot of the stuff that he was getting from me before was getting repetitive. You know, you coach somebody right. for five or six years, that, exactly. that'll happen, you know, there's you can only say things so many times and add more to <laughs> exactly. what you're saying before it gets repetitive. So it's really good to have those different styles complement each other. And I think that's also what's allowed our business to realistically, we've tripled it in the decade that we've worked together. So yeah. And, awesome. and if it hadn't been COVID, it would have been by four. Uh, so yes, yeah. <laughs> four times, but, but anyhow, next year, next year. So yeah, no, and, yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's, you're right. Like all of a sudden it's, it's those, those differences magnify the success. 
So one thing I know you've always done an amazing job is managing stress in difficult situations. So, so how have you done that? Because I know for our young leaders listening to this podcast, well, certainly when I was their age, I used to get really, really stressed, you know, and I've learned a bunch of tools and strategies around it. But what have you found, uh, Patrick? So when it comes to managing stress, I think there's like, there's important things that you have to do. And there's also really important things you have to not do. Mm -hmm. And COVID is one of those situations where it really has pushed a lot of people to uh, rethink the way that they manage stress and their mindset, because you that's, it's when things aren't going well, that you see the importance of having a strong mindset because you can get through things that aren't going well when you have that adaptability to you and you're able to not let the fact that pretty much every way that you were doing business has now fallen apart and become obsolete and you need to rethink the whole thing on the go at a moment's notice. And then also we're like right now it's super weird because we don't even know when or how things are going to restart at this point. Right. But we have to be ready for it. Right. So it creates a lot of question marks and a lot of stress. And there's one thing that I think happens to people that can cause a lot of issues. And one of them is focusing on different what if scenarios. And people rarely focus on good what if scenarios. They mostly (laughs) focus on bad ones, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I was kind of looking into this and there's a physiological reason for that because it's the way that your body was originally designed to handle stress. You weren't actually designed to handle stress in the complicated modern sense where, for example, we don't have a start date, right? Well, that's stressful because I'm going to perceive that as a threat. But originally my body was meant to deal with threats that were immediate, like I'm in the jungle, I see a tiger and I'm like, oh, do I run or do I fight it? Do I sharpen yeah. a stick? Do we, I, uh, do we get the tribe together and tear it down? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Chase it down. Do we climb a tree? What do we do? Yeah. But what's going on right now is we have a lot of threats that we perceive that aren't there yet. Right. And so it's really important to identify is the threat there, which basically mm-hmm. means, you know, can I do anything about this right now? Right. Yeah. So for one thing, you know, uh, the, this start date is a great example. I'm just going to keep rolling with it. Sure. Um, I, I can't control or change anything about the fact that we don't have a start date. Right. And there's only a certain amount of research that you can do before you go. We just have to wait until they yeah. say yes Tell us. or no. Yeah. yeah. Now, in the meantime, right, there are things I can do to make sure we're ready. Right. And I want to really just focus on those things. But it's really easy because we're going to perceive this as a threat, like they could say, you don't get to go back to work for three years, you know, right. and, and it'd be really easy to get, let your mind go there and then That's think exactly, yeah. what would happen if that would, and then start to imagine all these possible scenarios where you let your mind go into that place where things go terribly. And then what happens is your body actually can't tell the difference between you imagining the scenario and the scenario happening. So it just jacks up your stress level. And the reality is there's absolutely nothing you can do about it right now. It's not a real threat. There's no tiger standing there that you can run away from or fight. Exactly. So so you actually just have to stop your brain from going there. Right. And how you do that, in my opinion, is you ask yourself if this is a real threat now. Can I do something about this in the immediate? If right. I can, then I, I do 
my action plan. Like I figure out what are the best things I can do. I make a list, I put it on my to-do list and I get to action on it. If it's not something I can control, I literally just put it away. Right. And that's a really important step to take because it takes discipline to do that. It's not something like, you know, you say this and it sounds like, oh, of course, just put it away. You know, like, <laughs> but when your brain is going, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's throwing it at you. Yeah. You don't get, it doesn't feel easy to do, but it's something yeah. that you have to learn to do to just go, that is not a problem I can deal with right now because I don't exactly. have the information the the resources or the like whatever it is like it's not time to deal with this problem yet so i'm going to take it and i'm going to put it on the later problem shelf and i'm not going to look at it i'm going to focus on the now problem yeah no i think that's so powerful and it happens all the time right it happens all the time around these i can't deal anything so what actions can i take so patrick i know you know uh, a number of weeks ago we stopped being able to canvas, stop run, run home shows. That business accounts for 60% of the business that we do, you know, especially at that time of year. Yeah. So what actions did you take as a VP of this business and, you know, key leader of this business to sort of say, Hey, what can we do? Like, you know, uh, so what, what, what actions did you take? So the first thing that we did was look at the resources that we had available to us at the time. So right. we went and looked at, okay, well, we've got current leads. We've got past clients. Who are the warm customers that we can call, right? Mm -hmm. So we started with those. Then we worked our way down the list. Like what's the next closest thing that we have? So we've called the leads, the past clients. Well, what about leads from people last year right. who said they were interested but never got an estimate? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we could call those people. So we pulled out that list, figured out how to do that, got that in the hands of people. And then, then it started like, you know, okay, well, what if we, we started coming up with all sorts of things. So what if we mm -hmm. cold called the just literally cold called neighborhood, right? We, okay, well, let's see, how would we do that? How would that work? And then I, we came up with a script and we gave it to people to try out. And what we were doing with that is Usually when you come up with something new at a large organization, like in our case, we've got almost 200 operators across painting and window cleaning, right? Right. We've got to make sure that this method can work before we roll it out to all 200 people. So what we started doing is we would take the best 10 franchisees right. and we would ask them, try this out for a week. Tell me how it goes. Tell me what right. challenges you have and what works. And then we'd implement that. And then the next week, try something different. And whatever was working for those people, we then make a script, make it general, get it out to everybody. Right. Right. And that's really what we did. But the funny part is the biggest challenge was not that marketing didn't work or that, you know, you, you we couldn't do home shows. Like that was actually one part of the challenge. But the biggest challenge was actually that the people themselves, the operators, a lot of them actually got in their own head about it. And oh then it didn't matter what strategy you gave them. They were like, I don't think this is going to work. I'm not going to try. Or, you know, some version of that. Oh, we shouldn't do that right now. Or Ooh, I'm going to wait and see what happens. And all of the versions of that that you can imagine were popping up for people. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is we're now like six weeks into this. And when, and this is a really interesting phenomenon because as a manager, you really have to learn how to manage these types of transitions is 
if you're like the, the better the district manager managed those conversations early and got the people feeling confident about their business, the more they got back into a work ethic. And the second they got back into a work ethic, they went and got results. And you can right. literally see the, the correlations just always there. People who put up lawn signs got call-in leads. Right. People who spent money on Facebook managed to set up estimates. People who right. spent time cold calling did estimates those weeks and have sales. Right. And the people who didn't don't simple exactly. as that you don't have anything in the middle, but for the people living it, right. It felt hopeless. So the biggest challenge actually wasn't the fact that the sales system or the marketing system didn't work. It was that the people didn't have confidence in the system like they did before. So they didn't execute it the same way they would. hundred percent. And we're just starting to see now that we're recovering from that. Because yeah. people are getting it. So now we're having double the sales weeks we had two and three weeks ago. And really nothing's changed except people are starting to get it. They're going, right. this can work. And I'm tired of being at home. Okay, I'll get back to work on this thing. Yeah, I think people really suffer from a lack of acceptance. There's a big change and they, they suffer from not, okay, let's be in action. Let's turn in a new, new, new direction. And one of the big things I've always seen about you is that you really have a real pragmatism, you know, about yourself. And, you know, how do you find that effective as a leader of this business and others? So this is going to sound a little bit funny, but pragmatism is probably the most useful thing that I've done for my business career and my life. Right. And it's funny given that it's kind of a, a implied in the, the name pragmatism. Right, right. That it's very useful because you focus on what you can do and what you can control. Right. So a lot of times, like, you know, this stuff happens and you said, yeah, there's some people don't accept it. So they're right. kind of like shaking their fists at the sky and going, yes. why me? You know, yeah. like, why is yeah, exactly. this happening? You know, why now? Because obviously in this case, they can't really say why me because it's happening to everyone. But everybody, saying, that's right. Why this year? Yeah. It wouldn't have been next year or this or that. Or the other side of that is some people go, well, you know, I just have to lie down. Right. Nothing I can do now. I just have to go home and be unemployed and play video games and smoke yeah. weed all day. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I have no choice. This is just yeah. the way it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Now that passes after the first three weeks, but it's like, a, I call it the snow day effect. It's like, right. They forget that there's going to be a cost to not doing anything yeah. for a month or two months or however yeah. long they're taking off. Yeah. So at first, people just kind of go, I have the perfect excuse to just chill. And then they yeah. get tired of it. Yes. Now, what pragmatism does is you basically forget about everything you can't control and all of the, call them like reasons or... Uh, things, whether or not things are fair or whatever, and you just focus on what outcome you want. Right now, in our business, the outcome I wanted was to make sure that our operators have an incredible season this year. Exactly. Like I wanted them to win. I yeah. we committed at the start of the year to give them a true entrepreneurial experience, like entrepreneurial experience this year. Right. And I wanted to make sure they got that. So. Mm -hmm. Well, how can I create that? Well, right. I looked at it and I said, obviously, I can't change what the government's doing. I can't, yeah. you know, do any of that. Change stuff. the rules, or yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what can I do? Well, I can give them ways to work around the rules. 
or within the mm-hmm. rules, whatever, right. you know, however you want to look at that there, like work without breaking the rules. <laughs> of course, um, exactly. I can find new methods for them to be effective and, and provide that to them. I can get on the phone and, and make sure the people who are maybe feeling demotivated or a bit off, you know, I can get them back on board by kind of explaining what we're doing and how it's going to work. And so I, I look at what I can do right now to just make the situation a little bit better. Right. And one of the things that's really important to that is to not look at it and go, like, it, it, it's so easy to go, there's nothing I can do, or it's not going to make an impact or whatever. I don't even consider whether or not what I believe the possible efficacy of the thing I'm doing is going to be. I don't even consider that. I just consider what can I do and what's the best thing I can do. And I just go do it. Right. And then I right. find out what the efficacy is. And if it doesn't work, great. It didn't work. I try something else. But I tried it and I gave it 100%. Because if I took guesses at what was going to work and then I only you know gave effort if I thought it was worth it, I wouldn't try half the stuff that I tried. And then I would miss out on the best opportunities. It wouldn't work. So you just have to go. Absolutely. And, and, and also as well, like, you know, the, the whole action, like we have an idea, let's try it. Like it's aim, fire, uh, aim again, you know, aim, fire, you know, aim, fire, aim, fire, you know, and, and, and not spending a whole lot of time aim, 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 aim. No, no, no. Just boom. You know, it's okay. This is credible. Obviously. Okay. This seems like a a good thing. Let's get some people working on it. Okay. Here's another possible idea. Let's get some good people working on it. And that's, and it's kind of using a lot of incubators to sort of see, Hey, what can work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And not getting caught. Like you said, like not going aim, aim, aim. I'm just going, okay. What's like the best thing I think I can do right now that, okay, let's try it. Right. It's working. Great. Keep going. Oh, it's, it's really not working. Try it a little bit differently. Do this, do that. Still not working. Okay. Let's leave that one aside. Let's go to the next idea. But the biggest thing is don't ever trick yourself into thinking, well, it's just not going to work or, well, what if it doesn't work? Is this really going to be worth my time? Just stuff like that. It's such a cheap way of thinking about things that you end up cheating yourself out of all your best ideas, all your best discoveries, all your best businesses or things that you're going to accomplish. Like, don't overthink it. Just yeah. think of something that you think could work. Let's piece try it together. Test it out a little bit. Keep it simple, like so that it's implementable in a, you know, in a simple way. Test it out. And then if it doesn't work, if it doesn't give you initial results, try to tweak it. Right. And then move on. If it if it works, great. If it doesn't, great. Either way, you learn something valuable. But I think people are often too cheap with the the amount that they'll commit to whatever it is they're testing out that day, whatever method they're trying or they're committing to. They spend too much time thinking and pondering and oh, do I put effort into this? And it, and it's all just procrastination. Yeah, and there's there's something going on as well, you know, in the this COVID world. There's there's a lot of money coming out. The government's giving a lot of money, which is a good thing, supporting supporting Canadians, uh, which is awesome. And a lot of people are asking me, "Hey, what do you think? How's that going to impact the teams, the team that you have? You know, because people are getting money. Will they just sit on that money? Will they just not work? And the reality is, what's true is a whole lot of people will do exactly that. If you just gave me enough money, I won't work. Or at least for a while until they figure out that that's no game to play. You know, as, as you know, if someone gave me a million dollars today, Pat, I'd still be 
you know, hey, let's go run a great podcast. I had a few podcasts today. Let's go try to solve the problems we are solving, right? Like it's, and by the way, accept the money. That's, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, but but it. it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's just like, no, I got a bigger game. To, there's way more at stake here you know, to provide for our customers, provide for our operators. And it's like, it's really easy to kind of think, oh, well, you know, this happened in 2020. I'm going to sit on my butt. You know, it's okay. There's a good reason to, you know, hey, the government's even paying me to, or, but how's that going to, how's that going to play out in your life? You know, how's that going to work out? I love that example because you said like, you know, a million dollars. And I'm thinking like, if you gave me a hundred million dollars tomorrow, yeah. Or any amount of money really is, you know, is really yeah. what I'm saying here. It, I think I would just work harder and more. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason is because all of a sudden there's so much more I'd be able to do, right? right. Like if right. I had an extra hundred million dollars, I'd be like, man, how do we use this new resource I have access to oh, yeah. to go so and have a, a bigger impact? Yeah. Right. Like the uh, Bill Gates or, or yeah. Elon yeah. Musk or Jeff Bezos, like none of the people that I look up to made a lot of money and then decided to sit on their asses because that's really <laughs> boring. Yeah. You know, like that is, it's like fun for 15 minutes. It's fun for a week. It's like, it's, yeah. that's why people, that's are, why they like, have a vacation, right? It's a week vacation. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's why yeah. you're seeing now, like I'm seeing it with the operators. There was a, a, Certain people, it was a week, other people it was a month, but there's a period of time where a bunch of people like basically took time off when co- yes. the whole lockdown started. Yeah. And now they're going, okay, can we get the heck back to work? Like I want absolutely I want to drive this. Yeah. Yeah. And Corey, you remember when Corey retired? Yeah. From student works. Yeah. He spent about, I'm pretty sure, a grand total of about five minutes retired. Before he (laughs) started doing bigger real estate deals and then started his consulting business around real estate uh, coaching and all that. (laughs) Because guess what? You can be 35 and have all the money that you want to be able to retire. You want to contribute. You want to do stuff. That's what makes life fun. So yeah, yeah, if you gave me $100 million, I'd get busier. I'd do more (laughs) because I could have such a big impact. Yeah. No. And, and just, just so for our leaders, Corey McKinnon, he's one of our early podcasts in the first 30 or so. And he's one of our former VPs and he went and, and said, Hey, I'm, I'm retiring. Yeah. I've got enough property that I can just live off these properties. And went and said, wow, he's busier than I've ever seen him, you know, contributing and growing and developing and with bigger goals. And so that's one thing that, you know, challenges like this face us, you know, and the people who are, having the biggest lives are the most busy during this COVID period. They're solving the biggest problems there. How, what's going to happen after what is our business going to be like? Who are we going to be like? What new skills can I create? And then I see on, you know, online people mocking those people and, and that's okay. Um, You know, you, everyone gets to choose and there's nothing wrong about if someone chooses not to do that. Right. And on the other hand, it, it also says, what someone's likely going to do with their lives because you know this is a period of time where we're being really tested and i think when we're really really being tested it really shows really kind of the root of us okay under these challenges yeah. what am i going to do you know and i know we're working harder you know we're seeing as hey how can we have an amazing summer as i like to say our our best pandemic season ever <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Not, not our best season ever best pandemic season ever so well, did you hear about Richard Branson? 
I've, I've read a bit about him, but what were you going to comment on? Well, it was just, it's so uh, related to this, you know, in terms of this idea that like the best people will go and contribute more. So Richard Branson, for those who don't know, is obviously one of the, one of the business moguls and billionaires who's built, made his life building businesses. He's got the whole Virgin line, Virgin phones, Virgin airlines. Yeah. And obviously right now his Virgin, uh, a lot of his companies are really suffering because they're in the travel and, and hospitality, yes. especially the airlines. And recently I was just reading an article that through all of this, Richard is obviously extremely wealthy, right? Mm -hmm. He went and took $250 million of his own personal funds, his own personal money, and put it back into his airlines wow. to go and keep, not, keep those airlines afloat and pay the employees and not have to lay people off and all those kinds of things. And to me, that is exactly what those types of people, Elon Musk did the same thing with SpaceX back in the yes. day yep. and a bunch of things like that. It is such a uh, selfless act. Right. No, like very few people that look at those billionaires and go, oh, you know, I'm going to blame them for yes. having all the problems that exist in the world because they've got all this money. But, but very few people that are part of that group would go, I've got $250 million and go, I'm going to dump that back into my companies to keep yes. kids alive. When they could turn around just the same and go, I don't need these companies. I've got $250 million. I can live. Yes. I'll never spend it. My life yes. And yes. I can, I'm not going to get through it. Yeah. You know, so, so it's incredible when you kind of start to think about that, like that's the game those people are playing. Yes. They're, yeah. they're not in it for, I'm going to have a more comfortable life for, I'm going to have this or have that. They're in it for like, how can I have the biggest possible impact? Absolutely. Hey leaders. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. So talking about I know you've got some real thoughts around philosophies for happiness. Oh, oh, right. So that's just like, that comes up because a lot of times the way that people imagine happiness, and this is actually perfect kind of segue with what we just talked about around Richard Branson, but a lot of people see it as a destination, right? Like, you, yes. like you're, once you're a billionaire, like Richard. Then I would for sure be money. happy, right? Yeah, I'd for oh, sure be yeah. happy. Yeah. That'd be so fulfilling, you know, yes. like I, I could buy anything I want. I could do anything I want. Or they imagine like the same way we're talking about this financially, they imagine it with their family. Oh, once I get my family to this place, yes. or once I have this kind of a, of a wife or mm -hmm. girlfriend or husband, or once I have this kind of a job, I'll be satisfied with my career. And the reality is 
my girlfriend, Caitlin, she's actually in the process. Uh, she took a free course. She was bored uh, a couple of weeks ago because she actually was laid off. She couldn't do anything. So yeah. she was bored and she took a free course that was given by Princeton on okay. happiness. Yes. The happiness book. Yes. Yeah. So, so she started taking that class just for fun, like to, to yeah. pass the time. And of course, all the studies showed exactly what we're saying. People would look at a life event and think, once I'm there, I'll be happy. And then yeah. get to that life event, see a brief little spike in happiness for you know anywhere from a week to six months, yeah. and then their happiness level goes right back to the margin, to the or yeah. to the to the baseline. Yes. Right. And then it just stays at that baseline. And then, oh, they'd buy a new car. They'd feel good for a day, two days, three days. And then it's just a, their old car now. <laughs> you know, like yes. it's, it goes back to the baseline always. So I noticed like the only way that you have fun, like I think dreams and goals and thinking of the marriage, the relationship, the house you want to have, all that stuff right. is absolutely part of living a happy life is wanting more. Like I genuinely believe that, but mm. you don't dream of more like you'll be happy when you have it. You just think about it as this like amazing possibility that you can live into, right? It's like, you know, I sometimes like to think I will own an island one day, my own private island and all my friends are going to, we're going to buy up a private island together and build cottages on it and then vacation there together. Right. It may happen. It may not happen right? I don't need it to be happy, but it's kind of like one of the things that I look forward to at some point in my life, maybe one day achieving because it's right. like right up there with like, wouldn't that be just this incredible success, this incredible thing. And right. that's one of the many sort of ideas. ideas sometimes sure. it's a car, sometimes yeah. it's a really, you know, it's, it's a relationship, it's a friendship, it's a group of friends. But then at the same time, you're also always just, that gives you like a really far thing to look away, but you don't envy that you right. just are living towards it. And in the meantime, you appreciate and love everything that you have because mm -hmm. we have so much like, for sure. Like, and it doesn't matter what you have. You have so much like mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. the fact that you're alive is a blessing in, in and of itself. So you want to appreciate that. And then just look at how amazing it is that you even just get to dream about that next thing. And then you get to work towards it, but you've, you've got to just be in that moment of, I enjoy right now. I appreciate right now. I love what I have right now. I look for the silver lining and everything. And I'm really excited for what I'm going to like, like I'm already starting to imagine what we're going to be able to do as a company in 2021 or 2022. Right. right? And I'm already starting to imagine, you know, all, all of the things that the work we're doing right now is eventually going to bring us. Right. But I'm also right here grounded in the moment going, isn't this amazing that we get to work towards that? Yeah. And we yeah. just work towards it and appreciate those moments. Yeah. Cause you know, climbing Mount Everest isn't going to make you happy, but the pursuit of it will, you know, or it's a happy, happy moment, you know, of, of a life. And uh, yeah, I love that Pat, you know, just philosophies for happiness. And, and by the way, as well, you know, one thing that I really highly recommend is if someone's really interested in happiness and I am, read about happiness, study it, right? Like, you know, like a lot of times people, oh yeah, I'd like to be happy. Well, how many books have you read about happiness? Have you really distinguished it? Have you, do you have a philosophy of happiness? Have you really thought about it? There's a bunch of people who have, and you can just go read their books, you know, and then you, you can start setting your life up so that you're way more likely to be happy. So yeah. that's really neat.
you know, well, the, about the, any the pursuit, pursuit we have. of happiness is the pursuit. Mm. Happiness yes, that's is exactly it. It's not yeah. about where you're going. It's about pursuing it. It's about enjoying the process of going after what you're going after. That, that's all it is. Right. And most people or many, many people don't distinguish that. So Pat, you know, just in terms of, of your development, like as you went from like a university student to now, you know, being, um, you know, senior leader in a multi, multi-million dollar business, you know, what did you need to change about yourself? Well, for one thing, I will say that I never expected. So when I started out in my head, whatever I like, I started and I, because I got success early on, mostly right. thanks to just having amazing support and mentors at student works mm. because I got that success early on. I felt like anything I touched would just turn to gold and would okay. work out really well. Right. And I undervalued the importance of just sticking to something and becoming the best at it. Right. And I think that's something that changed over the years for me because at mm. first I was like, I'm going to do one year of this and then I'm going to go to that thing and then I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then, you know, and I kind of saw, success is like, I've got to be doing all these different things. And, you know, there's, there's always got to be 10 different things on the go. And then all of a sudden I started just, I was doing my work with student works and and becoming a better district manager and then a better coach for district managers. And then, and, and there was like a moment where like clicked that what was actually really important is sticking with the thing I was developing. Like if you wanted to be a great swimmer in life, you just got to swim a lot yeah, exactly. or, or, you know, in my Basketball. case, I wanted to be a great coach. coaching. Yeah. I just had to coach a lot day yeah. in, day out. I had to read about coaching. I had to, you know, and then, and to be a great coach, you also have to read about sales, read about recruiting, read about, you know, everything else. Cause you, you can't just be good at coaching. You also have to yeah. be great at sales so you can coach it. You got to be great at recruiting. Recruiting. So, so then you can have great people to coach. That too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one of the tricks we have in our program, by the way, is we recruit great people. So then our coaching looks amazing. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true. Like uh, there's so many elements to it that I think that was the biggest change for me was just yeah. realizing, just like figure out whatever it is. It doesn't even matter what it is. I f- figure out like there's a correct answer to this. Just right. pick something and then get really good at it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's one of those things where I remember, Pat, you know, obviously I, I, I maintain relationships with the best people in my business. And so Pat was always one of the best people in my business. So I, you know, I could always see Pat mostly kind of thinking, well, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, you know, coming back this year and then, okay, yeah, I'll come back this next year. And then finally it was like, got it okay, this is a spot for me, right? And it's really like getting that mastery is something that really matters, right? Just understanding. Because a lot of people think that, gee, if I stay in the same role, I'll actually, that's not the best way for me to succeed. But it's funny, when I look at my peer group and I look at the people who've been massively successful, they're people who chose something and then they stayed. And they got better and better and better. And then typically they're the CEO or one of the senior leadership positions and they're the best in Canada or they're the best in, you know, or the, they're, they're that, those elite, elite people. And they know more than anybody else around that, those things. And so as a result, they're able to execute and really drive value for their customers, for their staff, for themselves. You know, so it really is interesting. But again, I think most people, and by the way, I had the same problem. 
I would dart out and do this and dart out and have this while I was doing this. And it definitely was an enormous negative impact for me until I finally got, no, just this, this, (laughs) you know, develop leaders. That's what you need to do. So it's fascinating. Yeah, it was really surprising to me, like, because when I was growing up, and I say this, like when I was between 20 and 25, I consistently got the question of like, so when are you leaving? Like, because I've been in in one company for a certain amount of time, it's the bad thing. Like you got to move to the next company because there's something bigger there. But then I would watch other people leave and then like go down a notch (laughs) and not then go back up, right? They would just go down a notch and then stay there for a while and then move to a different position that was like different, but not necessarily better. Whereas like, if I just stuck to what I was doing, I was going up by 10 to 15% every year. Yeah. And, and if I look at the people that have done the best that I know, it's like, you know, Adel, he stuck to one thing. He, he started his business. He stuck to that business and he worked on it. Yeah. James really close friend of mine. Who's been really, really successful. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. James, he was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Didn't know what he wanted to do yet. Tried out businesses. And then the second he like struck, he found one that worked. I, mean, I, yeah. I almost said struck gold, but it was really like no. he found one that actually functioned and had a good economic model. He's been sticking to it. He hasn't lost focus. He, he could have gone off on 10 different tangents. For sure. And he has two products and he's doing those two products and he's improving those two products consistently and just working yeah. on that one thing. Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's so true. So what if someone wanted to do what you did and have the massive success you've had at such a young age, what key habits would they have to steal from you, Pat? I think the first one is to go and be disciplined. So go and develop the discipline that's necessary, like whether that's just to like stick to one thing and also to do things even when you don't want to do them. We all right. get up in the morning and don't want to do stuff. I'll get up one day and I'm like, man, wouldn't it be awesome to just stay in bed instead of getting on this conference call or answering those emails or doing this or doing that. And now today, like 10 years into this, it's not even like whether I want to do it or not is completely irrelevant. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's whether I committed to it. Yeah. It's whether, you know, like if it's on the calendar, I'm doing it. Like nothing's going to stop that. So that's, I think, one of the most important things. And and the way you build that is with practice. Like I didn't start off having this like, you know, button that I could press that I could do stuff I didn't want to do. I just kind of started doing it and pushing through it. And then at first you get a lot of like, I got a ton of resistance. Sometimes that was like, you know, it feels like heck sometimes when you really don't want to do it and you haven't, you're, you're not used to it yet. So that's what it felt like for me when I was starting off in like being an operator and, oh, I'm having that week where I don't feel like it. And then trying to push through that feeling and it felt terrible. And then over, over time, I just tried to do it and tried to do it and tried to do it and just got into that habit. And then eventually today it, it's like you're, you're the side of you that's kind of like that lazy, petty side that's like, oh, it's not fair. I shouldn't have to do yeah. this or I don't feel like doing it. Just shuts up. Yeah, you've just won it. You've won over it. Yeah. So yeah. I'd say if, if they could steal that from me and just 
focus, like pick one thing, stay on that path. Like, you know, if you're really good at a couple of things, just find a role that allows you to use those skills and then just like stick with it. Like if it's management that you really love, like crush it, you know, and like whether that's, you know, running a business or whatever, just do it until, uh, as Jay says, it's like dance, uh, do the rain dance until it rains. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole idea of just like, you know, just kind of keep working at it and then you'll see marginal improvements and eventually those marginal improvements become exponential. And then those, and then that's where it really takes off, but you really got to stick with something. I think if you're working at anything for less than three years, you're not going to make any progress. And I don't mean at one business, because sometimes you can just have a bad business model that's not working. Yes. But sometimes it's like, if you're not committed to being an entrepreneur for five years and putting the work in for five years to, to launching that business and making it work, well, the first three might not work out, but the fourth yeah. one might be the, ba- the one that really clicks, but you, you've got to stick to it for five years. The first six months, you're not going to get any success. Like if you go get a job after that, yeah. So I'd say those are the two things, discipline and focus and sticking to it. Yeah. And the one thing I'm going to add about Pat, just to, just to sort of add to one of your, you know, skill sets and something that's apparent all the time is as you're focused, you're reevaluating, reevaluating, reevaluating. And again, it's not reevaluating to leave. You're reevaluating to how do I get this better? How do I get this better? Constantly sort of assessing uh, in a positive way, you know, again, how can we make things better? How can we make how I'm doing this better? Because you're, you're, that's something I think you're really, really great at. You know, it's just you're in the game watching and learning and listening. So it, like it's the, it's the pursuit of always being better. That's what yes, you're saying. Yes, yeah, okay. That's exactly it. And it's, it, it's, you know, after that conference call, you know, one best practice that we have in this business after that conference call, after that meeting, after that training, after, you know, after every section, how do we do? What do we do better? How can we improve? You know, that's something again, that's really, you know, you've taken on in your life as a really, you know, great best practice for sure. And I know in the other pursuits you have as well. I know we went long, but can I tell a quick thing about that? For sure. Okay. So I saw the reason I I became like really focused on that whole idea of like going over how did we do was right. I went to Japan in 2015 mm-hmm. and I was there for a car show, random thing. While we were at the car show, we were there the whole day, start to finish. So at the start of the day, before all the booths opened up, we got to actually, I kind of noticed all of the teams, every single booth, they're in a little circle, huddled talking about their day, going over their game plan. And at the end of the night, when we were leaving, it was huge. Like we're talking, this thing was like 20 football fields long. So we were there all day. And then when we left on the way out, all the teams huddled up discussing how it went. And and I just remember noticing that and going, because the Japanese are really, really good when it comes to efficiency and delivery. Yeah. Really strong. And I saw that and I said, we got to do that. That's mm-hmm. got to be a part of our process. So, so I've been trying to integrate that into everything I do since then. Mm-hmm. And I think it's definitely part of it. You, if you ever look at something and think I'm doing it well enough, or that was yeah. just good enough, you're screwed. <laughs> like you're, you're, well, you're just going to be pretty good the enemy of good is great. Right. Or the enemy of great the other is way good. Yeah. yeah. The enemy of great is good. Uh, is we good. don't have yeah. good, go- or we don't have great government principally because we have good government. And we're just yeah, okay with exactly. that. Yeah, you know, we yeah. don't have great companies because good companies are just so easy to settle for. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and again, so you you want a great life, don't settle for a good one. 
And that's that we don't settle for a, a good enough company here. We set, we want a great company. Oh yeah. So final question, Pat, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Um, I think if I was going to think of a leader of tomorrow, like I think the first thing they've got to have is, you know, get their mindset on straight so that they can go and put in the work in a, in a consistent way. Like they can work through challenges. They can work through adversity. They, they can make the best of all the situations that don't go right because you're never going to run a business and have everything go well. It's constant. Like you run a business, things will go well for a couple years, a couple months, it doesn't really matter. And then something will happen that creates a big challenge for you. And if every time that stops you or that gets you discouraged or that gets you to sell the business or get out of the business or exit it in some way, you're always going to, you're doomed to always fail because you're always going to run into those things eventually. Right. So I think the thing a leader of tomorrow needs is that ability to look at adversity, look that challenge in the face, look that tsunami that's coming at them in their business, whatever that thing is, whether today it's COVID, tomorrow <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, sometimes it, one day it's going to be uh, a certain automated uh, services making their yeah. parts of their business obsolete. Other times it's going to be, you know, competitors that are driving costs down or or changes in the marketplace that make their, you know, their, their products like useless, whatever right. it is, they got to be ready to just dig in, figure out a solution, take action. Awesome. Well, Patrick, thank you for joining me on the leaders of tomorrow. Just an awesome, awesome job. Thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure being here. Okay. Fantastic. Have an awesome evening. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.